on today's episode of Power of the Towel, part of the next misconduct network of podcasts. The panic button has officially been pressed in Vancouver. The Vancouver Canucks are in shambles after two losses to the Montreal Canadiens and two losses to the Toronto Maple Leafs in emphatic fashion. What the hell is wrong with this team's defense? The effort for some players has been non-existent. The goaltending, Brain Hopey calling guys out on the ice. Maybe not so much in the press conferences, but it happened on the ice. This team has a lot of questions need to be answered. We get into all of that. We ask the question, is it time for Jim Benning to go? As Tim, Jim Benning's time as GM of the Vancouver Canucks up. And our guest this week is none other than next misconduct writer Noah Strang. Should be a good one. You'll be saying wow every time you use this towel. He's not a person at all. He's a towel. You're a towel. But in Vancouver, mainly it's all about towel power. Are you ready? Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Power of the Towel, part of the Next Misconduct Network of Podcasts. I am your host, Nick Bondi. And before you listen any further, subscribe to the Next Misconduct Network of Podcasts wherever you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, we're everywhere. You get four shows. This show, Power of the Towel, The Quickie, a daily hockey show by Begsy, Trevor Beggs. Great episode yesterday on J.T. Miller where I got a shout-out. My take is not looking that good right now. Of course... You get Sip It On a 40, the post-game show after every Vancouver Canucks game, and of course, Silk and Filthy, Puck Talk and Bullshit, every week on the Next Misconduct Network. And we mentioned it off the top. The panic button has fully been pressed. The Vancouver Canucks are in shambles. They are in crisis mode after two bad losses to the Montreal Canadiens and to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Saturday night, Hockey Night in Canada, 5-1. 5-1 loss. Thursday, 7-3. Got their pants pulled down, embarrassed. 5-3 against the Montreal Canadiens. That game made it was closer. was not closer. The score made it look close. Kind of got two goals late. Lost 6-2 to the Montreal Canadiens. And again, this team is an absolute crisis mode. The panic button, I'm fully pressed the panic button. We talked about the panic button last episode. And that was when things were looking rosy against the Ottawa Senators. Now I'm fully pressing the panic button because something is off with this team. The defense, the defense has been terrible this year. Just a couple of quick stats from Natural Stat Trick. The Canucks, the third worst team in the league in expected goal percentage. The second worst team in the league in scoring chance for percentage. They're giving up a lot more scoring chances than they are 
conceding. And they're in the likes of the LAs, the Detroit Ottawa's, a group you do not want to be in if you think you have a chance at a playoff berth. The Canucks have the fourth lowest point percentage in the National Hockey League. That is not good. The Canucks have played a lot more games in hand than some of these other teams. They've played four more than Calgary. Two more than the Edmonton Oilers. Four more than the Jets. Three more than the Sens. And we talked about this runway before on this show. We talked about the runway. The runway was going to be shorter this year. The margin of error for getting off to a bad start was going to be was going to be shorter. It was going to be a bit bit thinner because of the situation, because of the 56 game season, because of the fact that you are playing the same teams over and over again, which bumps up the importance of an NHL an NHL season, of an NHL series, so to say. And again, we're recording this on Monday afternoon before the Leafs game. I don't expect the Canucks to, to, to beat the Leafs again. Not after what I've seen these last two games. And this team is in trouble. This team is in trouble. We just got a report. This is from the Elliot Friedman. The 31 Thoughts podcast. The podcast he does with Jeff Merrick. Jeff Merrick says, I'm reading a transcript here. The theory out there is the team doesn't want to play for the GM. And Elliot Friedman responds, I think it's deeper than that now. How the hell could it get any deeper than the GM? The owner? The prime minister? Where the hell is this? Consp- this goes all the way to the top, folks. This goes all the way to the top. And when, he, when, when stuff's leaking like that, that is a problem. When I see JT Miller do the old controller disconnected defense on Austin Matthews on a Saturday night game, Austin Matthews scores, Brayden Holpe, giving him the death stare afterwards, giving the death stare to the bench. That's a problem. That is a problem. And Brayden Holpe's getting the start tonight against the Leafs. And uh, Thomas Drance reported this. It's going to be because of what happened that last game against the Toronto Maple Leafs. They, they, there's no way you can just leave that type of effort out there. you got to try and avenge yourself somehow. I expect the Canucks to play... I still expect, I honestly expect them to lose, but I, I pray to God that they at least show a bit of effort and at least try and they at least keep it close. Because if they get whooped again, if it'll be one thing if they just get beat and I see effort, but if I see plays, effort plays like that from JT Miller, again, this team's in trouble. And, and I love JT Miller. I've said it. He is the most important player on this Vancouver Canucks in terms of what he does for that lot of line and the power play. And it's one thing to give the puck up. It's one thing to turn the puck over. It's another thing when you give the puck up, turn the puck over, and you just don't give a fuck afterwards. That is the issue with the Vancouver Canucks right now. Again, the runway, there is no runway anymore. The Canucks have played the most games by far out of any Canadian franchise so far. And again, when you are in the in the company of Detroit, Ottawa, LA for point percentage, it's not looking good. It's not looking good. I respect Travis Green for 
having to do what he has to do to try and get a spark, putting Louis Erickson back in, Justin Bailey, who hasn't played since last February, just trying to just trying to get something going. But you, for everyone out there who wants to fire Green, I get it. It's a reactionary thing to do. It's you know the the typical thing to do. It's the easiest thing to do. But this is not lie on the coach. This is not lie on the coach. This roster has a baseline level. They're not up to it now, but even their ceiling, even the, this roster ceiling would not be good enough to compete with the Maple Leafs or even a Montreal. That's just that's just the situation the Canucks are in. Someone who's been putting up points but hasn't been playing well defensively is Quinn Hughes. That Hughes-Ben pairing has been getting pummeled at 5-5 five and five if you look at the stats and natural stat trick. It's not looking good right now. I love Quinn Hughes, but defensively, like this whole team so far, he, he's getting exposed. <clears throat> Pardon me. This team, this team needs to figure out how to play better defensively. And I don't don't mean trapping it up because I don't think that's possible. I mean, they need to figure out how to play a way where you sort of limit chances, but also get some on your own. And it's tough to do. It's a tough balancing act, but this team is not good enough, good enough defensively to sit back and let teams just come at. That's just not going to be, that's just not possible. And of course, the goaltending can be better as well. This is not, they are not escaping responsibility out of here either. Brain Holpe, he needed to make a couple saves. Thatcher Demko, he can play better. But again, there's only so much they can do. I would go, I would have gone with Demko tonight. I think he's a clear number one starter going forward. But I understand Travis Green needing to put that put that effort last game to bed. And if they do it tonight, then maybe we get some sort of peace and some sort of understanding going forward. But for the Vancouver Canucks, it's full on, it's full on panic button mode. And I never thought, I never thought when we were doing our first episode back with Dan Murphy. I would I would be pushing the panic button this early. But I am. And if if the effort doesn't improve, if the Canucks don't start getting some wins under their belt, we are looking at a situation, folks, at an extended death march for the rest of the season. It's coming up. If they don't get a few wins here, in this recent stretch, they got a four-game stretch against the Calgary Flames, home and away. Two against the Jets, two against the Oilers. Those are going to be huge. If you if you don't get wins there, and if you don't you know, almost run the table, we're looking at a situation, again, an extended death march against all Canadian teams, which is something I never thought I would say to start this unique 2021 NHL season. Okay, so we mentioned it off the top of the show. Our guest this week is Nux Misconduct and Canucks Army writer Noah Strang. Just a minute! Don't hang up! Yellow! You'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. We now welcome on the Power of the Towel podcast, part of the Nux Misconduct network of podcasts. Our guest today is a writer 
for the Next Misconduct website. He also writes for Canucks Army. Noah Strang. Noah, how are you doing today? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me on, Nick. Not, not a problem, man. Uh, let, let's get to that right right away. Okay, you write for you write for Next Misconduct, the website. You write for Canucks Army, the website. Gun to your head, pick a side, man. Like we can't have you. We can't have you on both sides of the fence. Like pick a side. Like who are we gonna write for from now on? Make a decision right now. Well, you know, Next Misconduct was the first one, so let me write for them. So always, always have a good place for them and always be loyal. Okay, you always remember your first. That's what they say, right? Exactly. <laughs> But so, uh, what what are you working on for for next next misconduct like right now? Any 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 articles coming up? Mm, I'm trying to think of an article right now. I'm going to do something around, well, you know, the team's in a tough spot right now, and I think a lot of that has to do with the defense and more specifically, kind of the defensive systems that the team is operating in right now. So I'm trying to take a closer look at that and see what can be changed to really get the season back around. Because from a long term point of view. I think there are a lot of changes that can be made, but from a short-term point of view in this season, what can be done to get the team back on the right track? Yeah, that's interesting. And then uh, l- let's start with the defense uh, there, I guess. What the hell can this team do to improve their defense other than make a trade at, at some point and try and you know move around the blue line around that? Because outside of like making a trade, I think this team's just going to be bad defensively the rest of the season, and we're just going to have to accept it, and hopefully we can, you know, the team can figure out a way to win in spite of its defense. For sure, for sure. And even last year, they were poor defensively, and this year just really gone to another level. Even though entering the season, I think a lot of people expected them to be better in that area. Uh, Nate Schmidt came in in the offseason. A lot of people expected big things out of him. And a lot of young players stepping into roles, and they've even gotten worse than last season. And I think that's a troubling sign. And moving forward, finding some way to fix that this season, whether it's shuffling the carry and weakening the trade, though I think that's kind of a last resort, or perhaps just altering their philosophy will be crucial to start winning some more games. Okay, so what does that mean, like altering their philosophy? Like just not be as aggressive on the forecheck, you know, stay back a bit? Like what, 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 what tangibly, okay, by the way, we're recording this on Monday afternoon, right before the Leafs game tonight. What tangibly can this team do to improve their defense like what what can they do tonight to actually improve their defensive effort i think to me it starts with a little bit of a defense first mentality and that's not something that you want to say considering this team has so many offensive weapons and is so talented moving forward but we've seen that they cannot outscore these issues this isn't an issue that can be outscored and so i think the forwards helping out the defense more staying in the zone some of these goals just look like miscommunication I think moving forward, more time together, it'll start to clear up. But I think really the biggest thing is making sure that you're doing your job in your own zone. You have responsibility. I think like Bill Belichick with the New England Patriots, he's famous for do your job. And the Canucks need a bit of that right now where everyone just needs to know what their role is and just execute that. Okay, that's interesting. So more more on the on the player side, just, you know, maybe keep, simplify it, so to say. For sure, for sure. I think that'd be a good, good way to say it. And you, and you bring up a good point as well. This team cannot outscore their defensive issues. And I think that's a good point because, again, the, the, the top, the, the lotto line especially hasn't been that great this season. You may have to switch to a more defensive style. But my, my point to that, my counterpoint to that is, does this team even have the, you know, the personnel to play a more defensive style? Like, we, we've, we've talked about in this market about, like, players like Jake Vertanen 
and Adam Gaudet and their deficiencies defensively. And if we're talking about it, then I'm sure Travis Green and his coaching staff have talked about it a lot more in depth than we have. So you know, I'm sure Travis Green would would love to just trap it up starting starting tonight and you know grind out two one wins if he can. I just don't think they have the players to do that. No, I agree with you there, and that's a larger issue here where the personnel doesn't match up to the system that they need to play to win games. But the thing is, if you're an NHL player, we don't. There's not defensive players on the Canucks to play a trapping style. But if you're in the NHL, you should be able to play strong enough defense that the team isn't conceding five goals every night, not conceding multiple odd man rushes every night. You know, it's not about being an excellent defensive team. It's about being okay. And I think any player in the NHL can get to an okay defensive level. Yeah, and I think even if the Canucks get to an okay defensive level, if that's even possible, I think that we'll see, you know, a change in results uh, this season. But some of this defensive effort, like, uh, from, from the forwards has been horrendous. Like JT Miller, like my God, I, I was a, I'm a JT Miller stand. I've, I've said on this podcast before, he's the most important player on this Vancouver Canucks in terms of what he does for that lot line, what he does on the power play on the half wall. This guy is probably maybe, he may not be the best player. This is a good sports talk radio debate. He might not be the best player, but maybe the most important player on the Vancouver Canucks. And I've been disappointed with him this season, especially that, that last game, against the Leafs where Austin Matthews is, is, is you know, streaking towards that and he just kind of like pulls the old oh, controller disconnected defense. Like he just kind of fades away and lets Austin Matthews go in and score. And you saw that exchange between Brayden Holpe and JT Miller. Like Holpe was not happy. I don't know what he said. I don't think it's come out, but I'm sure he said something like, what, what the hell, man? Like you just let this guy go to that. And he, you saw, you can see the visceral reaction of Holpe looking at the pants and shaking his head. Like what the fuck is this? What the fuck's going on? By the way, you can swear on this podcast. What the fuck's going on? Like, is it is this ridiculous that you know we talk about team defense and you know everyone doing their job? The effort level for some of these players on the defensive side of the puck has to improve. I agree, and effort should be a given. You know, it should be yes. something that needs to be asked. And right now, it's not, and that's really disappointing. I think you mentioned the exchange between Holby and uh, Miller, and Holby's a guy that's won a Stanley Cup. He's been on good teams. He knows what it takes to be a good team. And none of these young core players have really, last year's playoff run was great, but have really been part of a successful program for multiple years and really know what it takes to do it year after year and be successful. Because that's hard to do in the NHL. And so that's why I think management's clearly placed an emphasis on players that have experience, that know what it takes to win. And there seems to be a little bit of a disconnect right now with, with that on the whole team, with the whole team stepping up and just giving like giving a shit when it matters. Yeah, the give a shit meter is is very low right now. And I, I hate to bring up JT Miller again. You, everyone knows how much of a JT Miller stan I am. But at the, at the same time, like it's one thing to, to give the puck up and, you know, giveaways are going to happen. You're going to give the puck away in hockey. Like that's going to happen. But at least like try and give a shit getting the puck back. And we can even go back to, to last week against Montreal. There's a couple of times in, I can't remember if it was the first game or the second game in Montreal, all these games are starting to blur together at some point because they're just getting blown out in each one of these games against these Eastern teams outside of Ottawa. But he gave the puck over and he just didn't give a fuck afterwards. So it's, it's like, dude, like you have to try at least get the puck back. I agree, I agree. I think, I think seeing a teammate do that, it rubs off on the entire team. You know, it brings down morale and... 
that's also a product of just all these bad losses in a row. But effort is kind of a cliche, but something you can control and something that needs to be seen out of these players. Mm-hmm. And, and, and moving on now, I'm going to steal this question. I'm going I'm to sort of, you know, change this question up from what Jamie Dodd asked me when I was on Sports at 650. Uh, we ha- I'll give you three options right now. You can rank them from most to blame to least to blame in the situation the Vancouver Canucks are in. Uh, Coach Travis Green, general manager Jim Benning, or the ownership group. Rank from, let's say, least to blame to most to blame where the Canucks are in this current situation. Who is the least and most to blame? I think the least to blame is Travis Green. Now, some people might point to the players kind of looking disorganized out there or just the shot attempts that they've been allowing. But when you look at what he's been handed, I don't think he's getting a fair shot compared to someone like Jim Benning, who will be on my most to blame. So I'll go Travis Green, least to blame, the ownership group in the middle, and Jim Benning, most to blame. I think that if I can speak about the Jim Benning a bit, he's had seven years here now. And while he has done good things, it's not like it's been all bad. Overall, the full body of work, just this is this is the final product of seven years. It's not anything that's nearly, nearly good enough. And that's why I would put most of the blame with him. And then the ownership group in the middle, I think they they have a they have something to do with it as well. Well, building a vision for the franchise. But they are the ones that selected Benny to fulfill that vision, and he, I don't think he's done a good job of it. Yeah, that's a. I would say Travis. I would I would rank it pretty much in the exact same order. I think Travis Green again. He would love to play a more defensive style. You know, he would. I'm sure he would trap it up starting yesterday if he could. He just doesn't have the players to do it. And I think with every coach, you have to consider there's a baseline. You know, there's a there's a ceiling every roster has. There's like a baseline. That, that, that roster can get to. And, I mean, Travis Green can't turn the clock back on Alex Edler's seven years. He can't make Tyler Myers all of a sudden a better defensive, you know, have better defensive awareness and become a better skater. He can't turn, like, Jay Beagle into a competent, you know, fourth-line center. And Jay Beagle, not to say he's the most to blame, but, you know, he, he has the roster to coach. You know, he doesn't... He, he is given this roster to coach, and he's doing, I think the best he can given the circumstances ownership i mean yeah it, it's in the middle they're not entirely to blame but they do have some sort of blame they could have moved on from jim benning earlier if they didn't like it like let's not forget he got like two different contract extensions in a, in a short period of time like they gotta sign off on that jim benning's not making like you know he's not a dictator he, he has bosses to to respond to and it has to be the blame has to lie on jim benning you said it He's been here for seven years. This is his roster. The only holdover I can think of is Alex Edler, right? Like, he was the guy, he's the only guy left from that Gillis regime. And Gillis didn't even draft him. That was a Dave, Dave Nonis draft pick, right? So, Jim Benning, it, it's time for him to move on. It's time to move on from Jim Benning. Now, whether you want to fire him midseason, I don't think that's realistic given the situation with COVID and how you're going to interview people, you know, with a 14-day quarantine and, and, and what have you. But this is Jim Benning's roster. These are his players. These are his draft. These are his prospects. It's time for it's time for Jim Benning to go. In my opinion, we've we've seen enough. We have seen enough. And I think you're seeing a reaction online accordingly. People who have been fervent 
fervent Benning defenders are starting to say, it's probably time to move on from this guy. For sure. I mean, you only get so many chances. And really, he's used up all the chances by this point. And last year, coming into this year, this is supposed to be the years where the team is contending or at least starting to look like a contender. And that's not the case. And so I think you need to move on and find someone that can take this roster from where it is right now, from promising to actually realizing some of that potential and turning into a good team. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, that revolves a lot around the players around the core because obviously Benning's built this core here, but he's done a terrible job of building around that core. And so someone that can do that needs to come in and execute that plan. Yeah. And we, we've discussed this before on this podcast, you know, being a GM is not only, you know, signing the good players and drafting, you know, the, the top end talent. It's about move the moves around the margins as well. Like you have to be able to find value in, in kind of small places in, in the corners that maybe another GM isn't looking. And you said it's not, it hasn't been all bad. You can't say a team that drafted Elias Patterson with the fifth overall pick Quinn Hughes with like a seventh, eighth overall pick, Brock Besser in the late first round. Even a guy like Niels Hoaglander in the second round. Silly Pod Colson looks good. I don't know when he is going to be coming over, but he looks like he's going to be a solid NHL second line player. Like it hasn't been all bad, but at the same time, you can't look at the cap situation the Canucks are in and say, this is a guy we can trust with building a consistent contender going forward, in my opinion. For sure. And I think moving into this next stage of the Canucks where they're going to have to hand out some bigger deals to those core players, it's really going to come down to maximizing dollars for the people around them. And that is an area where Benning has proven that he's inept. You know, he's given out these huge deals to these players that are supposed to complement the core. And most of them, if not all of them, have been total busts. And I think that while... He's been great at drafting. That's not what the team needs anymore. And so it's time to move on. Yeah, that's a good point about the drafting. Like He had a reputation coming in as a good talent evaluator. And I think for the most part, he's, he's sort of proven that with, you know, Elias Patterson, Quinn Hughes, Brock Besser. Like, we, we can debate if it, if Jim Benning really wanted Elias Patterson in the 2017 draft. We're always going to have that debate. But he, you're right. I think that's a good point. He he's It's time to get someone, I think, who can – who can find value to complement the core. Because after this year, Elias Patterson is going to make a shit ton of money. Same with Quinn Hughes. You need to find you know value wherever you can to maximize those two talents and to be a consistent Stanley Cup contender. Like, look at the Washington Capitals. Look how long it took that core to win a Stanley Cup. What, Ovechko's draft like 2004? And they've been, a consi- they've been kind of a consistent playoff team since 08. took them 10 years. It took them 10 years of constantly, you know, retooling and, kind of trotting that group out there to finally break through. It's it's unrealistic, I think, to be like basketball where you can have like a three-year run with a really good team and, you know, maybe we can win a cup. It's got to be longer than that. You got to build, in hockey, you got to build a team that can knock on the door for like eight, ten years. I agree with you. I agree with you for sure. And one thing that's mentioned a lot is taking advantage of, as an example, this year where both PD and Quinn would be on their entry-level deals of last year's and, People talk a lot about how 
the last year of entry level deals for your stars is a great time to push all in. And in theory it is because you have some of your best players on the team for very cheap. But the reality is that mostly teams that win cups, it's after, like you mentioned, the Washington Capitals, many years of having their window yes. open. And so I think that while like the entry level contracts for your best players seems so great, it's just not a reality that can be trusted or depended upon. I don't know the last team that did that, maybe Chicago or Pittsburgh, one of those early ones. But if you look at the teams that win cups, it's it's guys that push over and over and over and they finally, you know, get over the hump as a group. And so I think we have the Canucks have that group that's ready to push. And then they need to be able to figure out ways, like as we mentioned before, to complement it and start going for play. Yeah, and just one more point before we before we move on here. I, I've noticed a trend this this season for the Canucks, and, and let me know what you think of this. The teams that have just absolutely pumped the Canucks this season, the Torontos, the Montreals, even the Calgarys, these are teams with depth. These are teams that can roll out three to four lines and really, you know, and really take it to you on every shift, right? And to me, that screams this is a roster problem, not a coaching problem. If this team can't match the depth of those, you know, of those teams like the Toronto's and Montreal's, I, I would say like the Canucks have better top end talent than Montreal, right? Like the thing with Montreal is they've got like three, essentially second lines, like three really good second lines and a fourth line that can get just run over you and. In Toronto is kind of a similar situation to that because they got really good high-end talent, but at least they have competent depth that aren't dragging you down on the bottom half. So to me, when it, when the teams that have depth are pumping you and the teams you are beating are the teams like yourself, like the Edmontons and Winnipegs that are very top-heavy with no real depth, that is a roster problem, not a coaching problem. That lies on the guy putting together the roster more than the person coaching that roster. I agree with you. I mean, your best players can only play... 20, 25 minutes mm-hmm. a night, not even half the game. And so you're going to be forced to ice lots of players. I think you look at Edmonton, they probably have a case even worse than Vancouver does. And it just proves that you can't win in this league with only a few studs. You need to have good players throughout your entire roster. And at the moment, that's something that the Canucks don't really have. Yeah, exactly. So speaking of the of the Canucks studs this season, the lotto line, what the hell's going on? Like this, we need the Canucks needed this lotto line, the top line, Leos Patterson, Brock Besser, JT Miller, to be all world once again. If they were have any chance of repeating what they did last year, and it doesn't, it hasn't been that way so far. Like they've been, they've been substandard this entire season for the most part. They've been okay on the power play. They got a power play goal last game, but at five on five especially, I don't think they've been that great this year. Like what the hell is wrong with these guys? Yeah, they've been getting caved in at five on five. And as you mentioned, the Canucks rely on that line for so much of their scoring. And when it's not working, it results in games like we've been seeing. And it's hard to really pinpoint what's wrong with the line. You know, Uh, I can't tell you exactly like this is what needs to be changed to get this line going back together. But I would say there's clearly a lot of frustration. They all expect better of themselves as well. You see all the players on the Canucks, but especially I think guys like Pedersen, Miller, really expect a lot of themselves and haven't been producing. They're just as frustrated as all the fans are, and they're trying to figure it out too. So I think with time, it'll come. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. They hold themselves to a higher standard, essentially. And 
you know, it, it's hard to it's hard to fathom these guys are going through such a such a bad streak that they are now, right? Like we saw them last year, they were amazing. They were one of the best lines in hockey. And to see him like just fall off a cliff like this is just it's just very strange. And I see Travis Green trying to, you know, jig up the lines. He's trying to he's trying to spark something. But I think for the most part, I don't think that's gonna work. I think if the Canucks have any success of turning this around, they gotta they gotta get that line going, which means just keeping them together until they figure it out. Yeah, and the unfortunate part is that with the shortened season, they're not really given much time to figure it out, you know? Uh, a couple bad games, and already the Canucks are going to be chasing to get in the playoff spot. And if this keeps on going, they're only digging themselves a deeper hole. So in a regular season, a regular 82-game season, they might have a few more chances to work through this slump. But in this shortened season, already a quarter done, they're, they're not really afforded that time. And so... I think that's why there's more pressure on Travis to switch up the lines. There's more pressure on all those players to break through these slumps. And when you're in a slump, pressure doesn't help. Yeah, and we've talked about the runway before on on this show. The Canucks have the fourth lowest point percentage in the National Hockey League right now. Like, they're around the Ottawa-Detroit level. Like, that's not good. That's not competition. That's not, you know, that's not the the company you want to be in, right? Like, it's... That's that's not good. And we again the runway. We've talked about the runway. The runway is a lot shorter in a fifty-six game season when you're only playing six teams than the traditional eighty-two game season that we're used to, right? Like they've played thirteen, fourteen games, but again, the point percentage is really low and they ha- all these teams have games in hand. So, you know, this upcoming four game stretch against Calgary is is huge because if you're taking points off them and they're and that those are Calgary's games in hand on you. That that's imperative. You get results, and if I feel like a broker record because I said this last episode as well, they got to do they got to win like two of three against Toronto and like hold serve against Montreal. That's not happening. So you got to you got you legit probably have to sweep the Calgary Flames if you want to if you want to cement a playoff spot because again it, it's looking like the fourth spot or nothing for the Canucks. No, I agree, and I think right now the Canucks are really going to be battling. Already, it's sad that it's this early in the season, but like you said, they're battling for the fourth spot against Edmonton, Winnipeg. And so I think getting games off those teams, Calgary, Toronto, Montreal, though they haven't done that at all, getting games off those teams and getting those games back in hand will be crucial so that when they do play Edmonton and Winnipeg, they just have to beat those teams and they know that they're not going to be hampered by the fact that they couldn't beat any of the teams above them. Yeah, and we said it last episode when we have uh, when we had Navs Assange of the Large Cast on. It's just about being better than the Oilers, the Jets, and the Sens. Because I think it's going to be one one you know one of Toronto, Montreal, Calgary winning the division. Other two are going to finish two and three. So you have to be better than Edmonton, Winnipeg, Ottawa. And I think you know Ottawa is pretty straightforward. I think they could be better than Ottawa. They, they sure as hell better be. But in terms of you know Winnipeg. And Edmonton, I mean, they played Win- Winnipeg without Pierre-Luc Dubois, and Line was already traded, so he wasn't even there. So, I don't, I don't know. Like, if I'm if I'm a, if I'm a gambling man, which I am, I don't know if I would put the Canucks as the favorite for that fourth spot. I would put probably, I'd put probably Winnipeg because I like their top six and I like their goaltending more than Edmonton. And needless to say, the Canucks, their defense. You know, it may be on pa- on paper, it may look about the same as Winnipeg, but they're not playing the same. No, I agree with you. And um, coming into the season, I think 
many expected the Canucks to be much better than they are, obviously. And so we know the Canucks can play better than they currently are. You know, there's something about the team right now. It's hard to pinpoint exactly what it was. Obviously, these defensive issues, but there's still hope to turn this around because we've seen the when the Canucks are clicking and when they're playing well, how good of a team they can be. And that team, when the Canucks are clicking, makes the playoffs in this Canadian division. Not the team that's playing right now, but when they're going. And so I think getting back to that is obviously crucial. And then trying to match, like you said, Winnipeg, Edmonton, and get points off of them every time they play so that when it comes down to it, they have those points in hand. Man, we're already like approaching the point in the season. Like it's an extended death march. Like I think in any other season, Jim Benning would be gone by now, but you you can't really interview anyone because of COVID. Travis Green doesn't have a contract, so it's going to be easy for ownership to, to move on from him if they want a totally new direction. It's just weird that we're already, you know, 14 games in, 40-something games left, and we're already talking about the Canucks, you know, having to win these games. And, you know, it, it's almost, we're on the we're on the precipice right now of an con- extended Canucks death march. For sure, for sure. You know, it's almost a couple more games like the Canucks are playing right now. It's going to be time to start the lottery simulators. Oh, I, I'm not looking forward to that, man. I'm not looking forward to lottery simulators. Like, I don't even think, is the 2021 even draft even good? I'm going to have to, like, brush up again. I thought, honestly, after last year, I thought it was done with, with like, yeah. you know, the lottery simulator and prospects and being a, a self-described YouTube scout. I thought it was yeah. done with all that, man. Like, I don't want to go back there. Exactly, you know. And uh, if the Canucks keep playing like they do right now, then it looks like that. So I think... You know, this season, it's something like we've never seen before. And it's at such a quick pace, all these games happening one after another, that the team really, once you get stuck in this kind of state or mentality that they're in right now, I think it's tough to get out of. But mm-hmm. I hope that getting back to Vancouver will hopefully give them a little bit of a reset and a chance to get right before the Calgary series. Yeah, and I know Kelly Rudy got clowned on Hockey Night in Canada for this take. Like, you suggest, you suggesting, like, Bo Horvat take up Elias Pettersson to Squamish or something like that, which is not allowed with the COVID restrictions. But he's got a point. Like, if you're, like, in a, there's no real time for team-building activities in this COVID season because everyone's on the, in their own hotel room and they can't really do anything like that, right? For sure. And I think another thing Travis Green mentioned was practices. You know, they haven't really had a chance to practice. Yes, they practice today, though, recording on Monday. They practice today, so may, maybe that helps. Yeah, hopefully that helps. Because I think some of the issues are so glaring kind of systematic issues that the players just are not picking up the right guys or the other teams just easily moving through the Canucks defense that just getting back to a practice where they can all get a better feel for where they're going to be on the ice and where Travis wants them to be and letting Travis get maybe a little bit more instruction will be really helpful moving forward. Yeah, and I'm sure like that's another impact of the COVID season is no real practice time. I'm sure Travis Green would love to put these guys through their paces and get a good bag skate in, and you know, I don't actually, I don't know if they're even allowed the bag skate players anymore. But you know, you'll put them through the paces and work on defensive zone coverage, and they haven't been really been able to do that because of the COVID season. So yeah, that's gonna help. Uh, so uh, let's talk about bright spots. And the only bright spot I can think of for this Canucks season is, so far at least, is Niels Hoaglander. I've loved his game. You know, he's five foot nine. He's like he's like a fire hydrant. Like he, he's he's like my height but weighs 25 more pounds and probably just pure muscle. This guy's a beast. I love him. Has he been the only bright spot for you 
this Canucks season because now looking at it, it's just this team's obviously taken a step back, like many predicted. But Niels Holkander's been awesome. For sure, you know he's been a huge positive surprise, and I think he's exceeded everyone's expectations, and he's really helped solidify that top six. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that it was all about Jake Vertanen stepping into the top six on the top. That line, looks that looks stupid now. Then, yeah, exactly. And Hoglander is completely, you know, no one's bringing that back up now. And it's almost a little amazing to me how quickly he's just taking that spot and made it his. You know, no one else is really stepping in there. I know they brought in Erickson into the top six last game. But um, Hoglander on this roster moving forward just helps add to the offensive firepower up front and just helps add to this young core. It's another player that the Canucks know they have moving forward that is he's looked to me like a stud so far and I think that you can never have too many of those pieces and so it's been a huge positive surprise yeah and I think uh you mentioned Louis Erickson back in the top six I think Travis Green quickly realized had he made a mistake because Hoaglander you know he was supposed he was on the quote-unquote third line to start the game he ended up with more ice time than Louis Erickson so I think he realized quickly that Travis Green realized quickly that, uh, that he made a pretty big mistake uh, putting Louis Erickson back at top six. I think you got to staple Hoaglander on that wing with Bill Horvat the rest For of sure. the season. Like, I, we've said, I don't know how many times I've said on this podcast, but if Niels Hoaglander can unlock Bill Horvat on five on five, we know how good Bill Horvat is on the power play. We know how good he is on that bumper spot, even though teams are keying in on him now. If Niels Hoaglander can make Bill Horvat even that much of a goal scorer, even better goal scorer at five on five, then it's worth keeping him in, in, on that line, right? I agree. I agree 100%. And Hoaglander, you know, he's so good at retrieving the puck. It's something that's mentioned a lot, but he's so good at retrieving the puck and along the boards. And him and Horvat and Pearson already showed great chemistry. And there hasn't really been, to me, a downside. That line's been strong at 5-on-5 five five at driving play. It's been the Canucks' best line by far. And Hoaglander's not getting exposed defensively or anything like that. He looks really mature for his age. And so I don't see any reason why you wouldn't keep those players together because to me, they've been the best line on the Canucks so far. Yeah. And, and another thing for, for Niels Hoaglander going forward, he's going to be a cheap contract. That's actually, you know, surplus value as, as the uh, numbers inclined, like to say surplus value uh, for, for the next two seasons, right? Like this season, obviously. And then the next two seasons, whatever they look like, He's going to have surplus value, which is huge for a team that's, you know, paying Louis Erickson $6 million a year and, you know, Sven Berchie $3 million to play in Utica. Like, you need these kind of wins. And hopefully they can have another one if it's Sillipod Colson. But at least for now, yeah, Niels Ho- sorry, Neil, Niels Hoaglander is is going to be surplus value for, for this team. 100%. I mean, he's, what, he's under a million bucks and he's yeah. taking a top six role, which means... You know, those extra dollars, the Canucks are right now using them on overpaying bottom six guys. But as those contracts come up, they'll be able to use those extra dollars in hopefully better ways than they are right now. You know, a couple extra million bucks to beef up the defense or maybe just get better bottom six players. Yeah, and, you know, it, whoever the next GM is, it's weird we're already talking about Jim Benning going to, you know, the next GM, but it feels like it's gone to that point. Like, it's just a matter of time, I think, before... Jim Benning is gone. Like I can't see Francesco Aquilini. Like this guy is he's not he's not a I almost want to say foreign owner like soccer, but uh he, he's you know, he lives in this city. He's he lived in this city pretty much his whole life. 
I know he's been a Canucks fan for you know however long they've been in the in the National Hockey League. Like this guy hears what people are talking about online. They fired Mike Gillis for a similar situation, right? To protect the brand. I was reading an article. I think it was Pierre LeBrun for ESPN or TSN back when Mike Gillis was fired back in 2014, and they fired him quote to protect the brand. And the brand has not been any worse as of right now, in my opinion. Since then, maybe you can go back to the dark Willie, dark days of Willie D. But like he has to see the re- reaction going on online and see this the situation the Canucks are in cap wise and 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 change has to come. So it's going to be huge for whoever the next GM is. Again, it's we're talking about the next GM already, but that's kind of where we're at with the Canucks. The next guy who comes in, he has to clean up the bottom six somehow, and he has to get surplus value out of the bottom six, or at least hold serve with the bottom six and not have it tie down the cap. Yeah, and whoever's going to walk in, you know, as far as new GM jobs go, this Canucks one's going to look pretty good. A lot of the the work of finding these top-end elite players yep. has already been done. So this guy's not going to be walking into a situation where he has to completely rebuild the team. He's walking into a situation where he needs to take them from a promising team to a good team. And so I think that will kind of attract a lot of good candidates, hopefully. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's a Canadian market. So if you're an ambitious guy looking to uh, make a name for yourself, what better place in Vancouver? You can imagine being the GM who brings the cup for the first time to Vancouver. You'd be, you, you'd be a god. Like, no, everyone would be buying you drinks at bars. Like, you, you'd have streets named after you. Babies would be named after you. Like, it'd be, it'd, you, you'd, be the, you'd be the king here. Yeah, well, Gillis didn't even win a Stanley Cup. His name still comes up anytime the yeah. Canucks like lose a game, you know. So, yeah, for sure. If you were the guy that brought the cup here, you'd be a legend. Did you find it weird, like I do, that everyone keeps on bringing up Mike Gillis's name? You know, seven years after he was gone, in terms of like, oh, the Canucks, you know, have a GM potential GM vacancy. You know, let's bring back Mike Gillis. Like, is there any other hockey market that is obsessed with like a former GM as much? as the Vancouver Canucks are. I know it, it is a bit strange. I think it just shows how kind of desperate for success this fan base is and that really the last taste of success was when Gillis was here. And so those two things get correlated, you know, it's like we want to get back to success and Gillis was the one that brought it here. And so I think that's kind of why they always bring it up, but it is really strange that this old GM just always has his name brought up to come back. It's like people don't, remember that there's a reason why these people get fired you know yeah well you know it, it's it would be interesting if he if he does come back because that means like some sort of reputation has been repaired and you know a relationship has been mended but mike yeah. gillis like it, uh, do, are, are florida fans pissed off that dale Talon's gone like I don't, I don't know i don't know dale Talon's like mike gillis is obviously going to be was a much better general manager than dale Talon was in his tenure in florida but it, it again it, it just Maybe I don't pay attention to other hockey markets as much as I do the Canucks. I just find it strange that any when the GM opening is now apparently there for the Vancouver Canucks, you know, everyone's like, bring back Gillis, bring back Gillis. Like, can we not find someone else? Is there not, like, I like this, the assistant GM for, for uh, Colorado, Chris McFarland. He'd be top of my list. Like, look at what, look at what he's done with Joe Sackick in Colorado. They're going to be a, a great team for, for the next number of years. Yeah, for sure. I think like taking anyone from that Colorado group would be amazing. They've done a terrific job there, obviously. And I think back to the Gillis point a little bit, like this isn't even a guy that's gone on from his Canucks days and gone to another team and rebuilt them into a contender as well. You know what I mean? Like 
he's not a guy that has shown proven success track records at multiple spots, but still Canucks fans keep mentioning his name and vying for him. Okay, yeah, well, let's stop the Gillis talk because there's going to be some Gillis stands who listen to this podcast and are going to tweet at me. I already know that's going to happen. Uh, the goaltending situation. Brain Holpe, we're, again, we're recording this Monday Monday afternoon. Brain Holpe is going to get the start. And it seems like uh, Thomas Trance reported essentially a big reason why they're starting Holpe in this game is what happened Saturday night with uh, after that fourth after that fourth goal by Austin Matthews, the reaction. They seem like they want to give him another chance to and the team another chance to you know, correct that wrong and you know avenge what happened on that ice because it was not a good look uh, for the Canucks. In terms of the goaltending situation, I think Demko should be the starter going forward. I think, you know, this team has too much questions everywhere else to have another question being goaltending. And if you could solidify Demko being your number one goalie for the next few seasons, you got to do it as soon as you can. Yeah, I've been I've been a bit more impressed with Demko's plays so far than Holtby's. And I think that the plan was always to have Demko be the goalie of the future for this core. And that's being realized at the moment as we speak, you know, and he's stepping into a larger role. Um, neither goalie has been unreal, but none of them are the problem either. You know, goaltending isn't the problem with this Canucks team no. at the moment. And so if the coach feels like the team will play harder to kind of right that wrong for Braden Holby, then I guess that's his decision. But I do agree with you that moving forward, I think Demko should get the majority of the starts and to really solidify himself as number one. I think it'll also add a little bit of kind of consistency for the team that's lacking one at the moment. Yeah, and it goes to show, you know, I think the whole Travis Green not having a contract uh, has been kind of buried a bit with now that we have actual talkie to talk about. But it's a big story because of situations like this. Like, Travis Green, this is the last year of his coaching deal. He may not, who knows if he gets another deal. He doesn't have that assurance yet. He's going to make moves that are win now and really don't consider the future, right? Like, if he had, if he had a contract extension before this season, I can see... I can see a situation where he does play Demko more because he knows this guy is going to be a big part of his team going forward, but he doesn't have that incentive now. He just has, he just knows that if he wants to continue being a coach in the National Hockey League, he's got to keep winning games. And if that means playing Holpe over Thatcher Demko, if that means you know putting Louis Erickson back in the lineup over over a, you know, a younger guy, then then so be it. Yeah, I think he even saw it in that uh, in that in the infamous uh, in that infamous we ran a time article, which we'll get into after this, but. He even said, like, Jake Vertanen, like, he gets off to a slow start, but he's he essentially, like, it, it was a shot at Travis Green, I read it as, as this guy needs to be in the lineup. But if you're Travis Green, why do you give a shit about Jake Vertanen at this point? You just got to win games. And if Jake Vertanen, if you can't be assured that Jake Vertanen is going to help this lineup, he's going to play a veteran. Exactly. I think that Travis Green's kind of lame duck situation almost creates just so much desperation in his moves, you know? He's gonna do anything he can to try to win the next game. And having to juggle that while also having to juggle what seems like Jim Benny wanting him to play certain players over others, while also trying to juggle the fact that you hope that he's the coach of this team moving forward and developing relationships with all these players that can be counted on for years to come. It's a lot to do at one point, especially in the middle of this season like we've never experienced before. And so, I think that if they had a contract worked out for him, like you said, he could make more long-term decisions. He could take more time to make the decisions. He could take the time to get informed before making the decisions instead of having to try to rush, for example, 
throw Louis back in the lineup to try to get some defensive stability or throw Vert back in the lineup and try to figure out a place for him to appease his higher-ups. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. So we, we just tease it, the Ben Kuzma article. It's all, I think it's already going to have a, a historical place in Canucks lore just for that we ran out of timeline. But it was interesting that, you know, that, is it, do the Canucks have a PR staff? Like they couldn't have, they couldn't see this his interview and be like, oh boy, this is not a good idea. So I, I'm assuming like this is good reporting. This is old school journalism by Ben Kuzma. He just essentially just phoned Jim Benning up and got him to admit on the record. And I think this part's a bit buried because obviously the big you know line is we ran out of time, which is just hilarious. Come on, a, a, a GM. This guy's getting paid. I don't even know what his salary is. But this guy's getting paid very well to run a multi-million dollar hockey team, and he ran out of time. Like, he can't delegate or anything like that. Like, he ran out of What the hell? Like, sorry, but the the bit, the 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 point that was made in the article that uh, Jim Benning kind of admitted, I think got buried, was he essentially admitted that we, we, we needed to move out salary. We needed to move out salary, which means, like, he's just admitted that he put this team in cap hell. Like, he needed to move some of his bad deals that he signed. Again, he's been here for seven years. There's no bad contracts left on the books unless you want to consider maybe the Longo cap recapture penalty, which is bullshit, obviously, but it, it, against, you know, the Gillis regime. But everything else, all these contracts are, are Jim Benning's doing. So for him to, you know, admit on the record that he had to move out salary, just show, just admits, he admitted that this Canuck, this Canuck team is in cap hell, is capped out because of his doom. Exactly. And to be honest, I'd almost be more worried if he couldn't admit it by this point. Like, it's so clear and obvious by this point that the Canucks are in such a tough spot with their money because of the deals that he's given out that if he was blind to that, I'd be even more worried. Yeah. But it is a frustrating scenario seeing that he's handicapped this team and now they're being forced to, they can't make the moves that they need to make because of all these big contracts they have on the books. Yeah, and I think he was. I think you know, I was reading some reporting on, on the Athletic um, that essentially the, the Canucks they needed to buy out someone, and ownership said, you know, no, we can't do that. And I guess some people, if you're a big time Benning stand, like you can blame ownership and say, you know, see, if they were allowed to buy out players, this would be a problem. But I mean, if you just don't have those contracts on the books in the first place, you don't have to resort to the buyout, and it is their money at the end of the day. They can say. Oh, we don't want to buy out anyone. This has been tough times for everyone, even those guys, even though they got a lot of money. So, if, the, yeah, if you look at Benning's track record, like if I'm ownership, I'm not even sure that if I grant him the buyout, that he's going to do the right thing with it. Yes, and that he's going to be able to to buy out the right player and bring in the right players to replace it. And I think that that's got to factor into decision making. Yeah, a- absolutely. If if you're Francesco Aquilini, you buy out Brandon Sutter. Who's to say he's not blowing this on? You know. Another Michael Furland, like it could be, it could be a similar situation to that. And I mean, Tyler Toffoli, when he scored those goals against the Canucks, the first game, I tweeted this out at the hat trick. It was just, it again, Jacob Markstrom, right? He got a shout out his first game against the Vancouver Canucks. But I mean, no one really blamed Jim Benning for not for sign not signing that six year deal, right? I think everyone agreed. There's a general consensus that was a bit too rich for the Vancouver Canucks and, and for a goaltender. It's going to work. It's good. He's going to do... Arsenal's going to do well in Calgary for the first two, three years of that deal. I don't think there's any doubt. But after that, there's a big question mark. Uh, even the same with Chris Tanev, four-year deal. Chris Tanev's been an absolute warrior for this team. And a four-year deal was 
good for him, but I don't think the Canucks should have signed that. But there's just something just so... And again, Jacob Markstrom got a shout-out the first game against them, and that, and that was a story. Absolutely, that was a big story. But again, there's something just so visceral and in-your-face about Tyler Toffoli scoring a hat-trick against you his first game back in Vancouver when you could have had him, and he and it's, on the, it's been reported by a bunch of people now he wanted to come back. And a very good deal, I think, four years, 4.25 at that, is very visceral in your face to say the, the cap situation for this team cannot be ignored any longer. This is a result of it. You let a guy like Tyler Toffoli walk for nothing on a very good deal because of your past indiscretions. Yeah, and Toffoli comes back and scores all those goals, and it's finally kind of a concrete example of what these poor years of salary cap management have resulted in for the Canucks. And as you said, now it's been reported by multiple people that Toffoli wanted to stay, and that just kind of adds salt in the wound, you know, it makes it even tougher to watch him succeed against the Canucks, especially when he's a guy that not only did the Canucks give up major assets for, but also he's a guy that stepped in immediately and showed immediate chemistry. Yeah, he looked awesome. Like, he looked awesome. Yeah, he fit in like a glove. And so I think the fact that, we, that you think that they should have been able to keep him and that they paid such a price to get him, then it just doesn't make any sense why they weren't able to make that happen. Yeah, it's it's absolutely frustrating if you're if you're a fan of this team to see a guy like Toffoli walk. And I think that, you know, when we have the postmortem of the of the Jim Benning era, and I think that's going to come fairly soon. I think, you know, a lot of people are going to look back at that as a tipping point, as the point where, you know, enough was enough and obviously the cap situation has come back to bite them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think you know, to fully scoring all those goals. I mean, he was leading the leading goals or tied for the lead at one point with almost all of his goals except for one just against the Canucks. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. finally kind of like a, a stat or something that you can point at is be like, okay, this is enough is enough. Like you said, you know, this this is ridiculous and uh, it's clearly harming the team. All right. Noah, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Much appreciated. Where, where can people find your work? Where can they follow you? This is your time to plug yourself right now. Okay, uh, follow me on Twitter, Noah Strang underscore, and uh, read my work on Canucks Misconduct and anything I post on Twitter. Yeah, no no plug for Canucks Army. That's what I like to hear. Actually, I'm, I'm just joking. I like the guys over there. Uh, again, Noah, thank you so much for uh, for coming on Power of the Talent. Hopefully, we can help have you on again sometime. This is a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me on, and uh, can't wait to come back. All right, thank you to Noah Strang for hopping on the podcast. Much appreciated. Great conversation for everyone out there. I hope you I hope you enjoyed it because I did. Okay. Ending off this show with the general manager situation in Vancouver. I tweet this out after Saturday's game. It's time for Jim Benning to go. It is time for Jim Benning to be removed as GM of the Vancouver Connects. It's time. He's had close to seven years. This is his team. This is his roster. It is time for Jim Benning to go as general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. And again, you're seeing leaks. It looks like players have given up on this GM. It looks like players have given up on this management group, which is wild. The cap situation the Canucks are in and will be in because they make no mistake about it. This 
cap situation is not going away. This is Jim Benning's doing. The fact that the Vancouver Canucks don't really have any depth is Jim Benning's doing. The fact that the Vancouver Canucks will not be able to take advantage of Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson's ELC deals are Jim Benning's doing. The fact that Tyler Toffoli is scoring a hat-trick after hat-trick, it seems like, against the Vancouver Canucks when Montreal plays them. That is Jim Benning's doing. The infamous, we're running out of time quote. We ran out of time quote. That will go in and out, and we mentioned in the interview, that will go over as a turning point for this regime in Vancouver. Louis Erickson, $6 million a year over six years. That was Jim Benning. The fact that the Vancouver Canucks, outside of Vasily Pod Colson right now, who is playing in Russia, coming over. That is, that he is the only impact prospect I can see right now who will have an immediate impact when he comes over to the NHL. That is Jim Benning's doing. The situation the Canucks are in are Jim Benning's doing and it's frankly time for him to go. Who shall replace him? I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I met, We mentioned Chris McFarland in the, in the interview. Anyone from that Colorado franchise seems like a good bet. I don't want a guy like Dale Talon. God, no. But it's time for Jim Benning to go as general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. And I don't think he gets... I don't think he gets fired. I don't honestly think he gets fired in the COVID season. Again, it's going to be weird. They don't... They don't have... The ownership will not have time to interview potential candidates because of the 14-day quarantine. It's tough. But it's not... It don't, I don't think it's going to happen to fire Jim Benning halfway through season. So we're looking at a situation where the Vancouver Canucks where the Vancouver Canucks will have a lame duck coach and GM for the rest of the 2021 season. That is a situation the Vancouver Canucks are in. A lame, I never would have thought Canucks would have had a lame duck GM and a coach for in almost an entire season. But it looks like Jim Benning and the management team with the Vancouver Canucks are on their last legs. And we can get more into the Jim Benning tenure and all the moves he's made and how we've gone to this point, and we will save that for the postmortem because there will be a postmortem on the Jim Benning regime with the Vancouver Canucks. But needless to say, it is Jim Benning's time to go as GM of the Vancouver Canucks. There can be no doubt about it. And that is this week's episode of Power of the Towel Part the Next Misconduct Network podcast. I'm your host, Nick Bondi. Subscribe to the Next Misconduct Network wherever you get podcasts. Four shows for one swipe and one tap, as we like to say. Once again, this is the Power of the Towel podcast, part of the Next Misconduct Network of podcasts. I'm your host, Nick Bondi. Thank you for listening.